You're listening to this week's message from Freedom Church. For more info on Freedom, visit freedomdl.com. Thanks for listening. So listen, we're in a series called Structure. And uh, we have this week and we have one more week. Um, Pastor Tony is going to be speaking next week about structure when it comes to worship. I don't know if you knew this, but, but God, he wants a personal relationship with you. Okay, now that is such a thrown around term in the kingdom. It's like a personal relationship with Jesus. You know, they're going to give you that little track thing you got to unfold. It's the shape of a cross and it tells you how to get saved and all that. But, but he wants it personal. What that means is he doesn't want you praying and interacting with him in the exact same way as the person that's sitting next to you. That's a relief because some of y'all are crazy, man. Like I'm crazy too, you know. And, and it's like you may not interact with God the way that I interact with God. And, and, and what we will do is we will see somebody that seems like they're doing it well and we'll try to copy every move, every motion. And what happens is we learn that, man, that's just not how I do things. I love that you can spend three hours in your prayer closet. I will go nuts. You know what I'm saying? They will be coming to take me away. They're coming to take me away. <laughs> so, <laughs> sorry, my childhood popped up there. Music to listen to, but, 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 but what happens, though, is, is that when you begin to identify who Jesus is to you personally, and you begin to have a personal relationship with him, here's what happens. Life with Jesus gets super exciting because you realize you can stop trying to be like everybody else and you can start embracing who God created you to be. Amen? It's so powerful. But having said that, there is a structure that every single one of us adheres to or should be adhering to if we're going to be a solid, Bible-believing, truth-speaking Christian. There is a structure, and so what I want to do today is I want to dive into the Old Testament, and I want to show you how it impacts the New Testament. It's important because in the Old Testament, we see the structure that God was creating, and in the New Testament, we see the fulfillment of that structure. We see Jesus Christ coming along and fulfilling everything that we find in the Old Testament. I don't know if, uh, we don't have time to go into it today, but, but I don't know if you've ever Googled um, all the prophecies that Jesus was able to fulfill, and it's over 300 of them. Now, statistically, it's, it's impossible statistically for him to have fulfilled like eight to ten of those prophecies all in, all in one person in one go. But it's in the 300s. It is, it is statistically impossible for Jesus to live. But hey, guess what? What we can't do as human beings, Jesus Christ can do because he is all God Almighty. Amen? So whatever's impossible in your life right now, that's statistically impossible for this person to get their life right. God can make it happen. But you've got to be willing to jump into that structure. I hope to, today to show you how important it is to develop that structure and to live by it so God's plan for your life can be realized. Amen? Amen. So let's just jump right in. Here's the first point here. If you want structure, you need to obey. you got to obey. Now, some of us... I don't know if you're anything like me, but I am a born rule breaker. Come on, baby. Like, where are my rule breakers at? Come on, yeah. Y'all probably crazy just like I am too, aren't you? But you know something? Here's the beauty about rule breakers. People need rule breakers because we are the ones willing to push the envelope. We're the ones willing to move the ball forward. Now, all of you see personalities that's like, don't you dare break a rule I know I'm talking to y'all right now. Y'all got to chill out, okay? Everybody calm down. You rule breakers, y'all need to calm down too. All right, I'm talking to myself. But here's the thing. Godly advice is worthless if it isn't heeded. Okay, don't go right there. Why come? There's a tiger. Nah, I'm going to go try it. That's your fault. No matter how good a blueprint is, if you don't adhere to that blueprint, it's worthless. Last week we talked about how the Bible was the blueprint for your life. Well, how? Well, the Bible is more than an instruction booklet. 
Remember the B-I-B-L-E? It's a basic instruction before leaving earth. You remember, anybody remember that acronym? And they had the other ones like frog, fully rely on God, you know, all this stuff. Well, the, the Bible is instruction for now. It's instruction for today. It's instruction for what you're dealing with and experiencing right now. Now, the Bible itself is two different parts that are fitted together to create a house from which our lives can be lived out of. That's what God wants to do in the context of the Bible. So, so what are we talking about here? Let's look at the structure of the Bible for just a moment. Okay, now this might be a little basic, but just hang with me. There are two parts, right? Old Testament and New Testament. Now listen, the Old Testament is not the mean God. And the New Testament, like the one where Jesus has had a talk with his dad and everything's cool now and he's, he's okay. That's not, it's the same guy in both Old Testament and New Testament. It's the framework, though, upon which the New Testament sits. Everything that we see in the New Testament doesn't happen and doesn't have import outside of what's happened in the Old Testament. Let's talk about some differences. Um, law and grace. Now, a phrase we use a lot here is, um, is about truth and grace. See, we don't want to give somebody just the truth because the truth can be brutal, okay? The truth can be very, very hurtful. It's like, what if I just meet you? Like, you walk into the church for the first time, and the first thing I say to you is, you better get your life right or you're going to hell. Now, some of y'all be like, by God, that's a preaching I grew up with. That's what you need to be telling them. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. But, um, but don't you think that conversation is a lot better in the context of relationship? Don't you think it'd be nice for me to hang out with you for a little bit before I tell you you're going to hell? <laughs> so here's the way we say it is, is that if you have just truth, it, cause, it causes brokenness. The truth can be too hard to handle. You can't handle the truth. I mean, right? You can't do That's my jack. It's pretty good, right? Come on. No? Okay. Just don't Google review that. So, but if you have too much grace, what you get is compromise. Oh, just love wins. Everybody's going to, God loves everybody. He does love everybody, but you're missing a huge part of the whole God thing if you just think that God is love, okay? He's so much more than just love. And we've got to understand that. And so it makes some people dislike God because he's not, well, I mean, are you, willing to, are you willing to just let people take advantage of you 24-7 all day long and not expect that at some point they're going to stop taking advantage of you? So how come you're not just love, man? It's like, if I want your car, if you have a nice car, I'm just going to take it today. Is that good? Why not? Well, because see, there's more to it than love, isn't there? Okay, so there's more than love. But with, without, with grace only, it's compromise. But when you get truth and grace together, guess what happens? Restoration happens. Good things happen. That means that what God wants to do in your life can actually come to fruition. But the Old Testament is this thing called the law. The law was the standard and to show how mankind, how vastly far he is from God's standard of holiness. The Old Testament, that God demanded purity. He still demands purity today. And that was done through this variety of ceremonial cleansings. Let, cleansings. Let me just throw out to you right now. If you're going to start reading the Bible in a year, do not start in Leviticus, okay? Go straight to John. Get encouraged because when you get to Leviticus, you can be like, what are the, what sacrifice of what? Catching pigeons? What are y'all doing, man? But the New Testament <laughs> is all about grace. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. See, what the law exposed, grace dealt with. The law couldn't deal with sin, only expose it. What about atonement? Let's look at atonement for just a second. Old Testament, we have the Levitical system. That's the book of Leviticus I'm talking about. A series of offerings culminating in this day of atonement where sacrifice for sin would cover their sin, but it could never eliminate their sin. Leviticus 4.20 so the priest shall make atonement for them, and that shall be forgiven them. Well, in the Old Testament, there was, 
sacrifice made for the atonement of sin, but, but it could never actually fix it. The, the word that we see in Hebrew there is this word called kafar, and it means to cover. It's just covering the sin. It's like sweeping it under the rug until we can deal with it. Nowhere else in the Old Testament does it say that sacrifices were for the removal of sin. Can I tell you something, church? Why this is such a big deal is because covering sin doesn't fix the problem because the sin is still there. It's just in a different location. It's just hidden. I mean, hidden sin can get even worse because it gets to ferment in the darkness and create more problems. But we were waiting for a day where the structure of the Old Testament could give way to the fulfillment that is Jesus Christ. The New Testament, Hebrews 10, 4. For it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Let's keep reading in verses 11 and 14. Every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. You know, the Bible is not a book about you. It's a book about Jesus. And if you read it as a book about Jesus, you will see the power of it. But you're in the Bible. And do you know where you're in the Bible? Right there. Those who are being sanctified. That's you. And if there's nothing else that you take from today, you should take a little bit of encouragement of the fact that Jesus made one sacrifice to cover every dumb thing you've ever done. Every sin, every failure, every mistake, every problem, every situation. He's already paid the price. He's already paid the price. That's what Jesus did for us. The Old Testament was repeatedly pointing towards the New Testament, towards Jesus who would once and for all not cover our sin, but remove our sin. The same word kafar is used to describe the pitch that covered Noah's ark. Isn't that interesting? The entire ark inside and out had to be covered with pitch to keep it waterproof. And maybe that provided us a metaphor structure so that we could understand that we need the covering of the blood of Jesus Christ to save us from the sin and the corrupt world that we live in. So what's the point? The point is that we have to see the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament because there are very clear themes and ideologies within that build the scaffolding from the Old Testament to the New Testament. I'm I'm trying to sell the point here that the Old Testament is a scaffold upon which the New Testament sits. you got to get in your mind in this moment the notion that everything in the Old Testament was simply pointing to the fruition of the New Testament. And here's why I think this is important. Because is there something in your life right now, a structure that God has wanted you to build and to obey? Because right around the corner, there is the fulfillment of that thing. And it's because you haven't been willing to submit to the structure and obey it that the thing around the corner hasn't come to your house yet. Could it be that God is just waiting on you to say, yes, Lord, whatever it looks like? What if God has been storing up the answer to your prayer for months and years and he's just waited on you to be obedient to the structure? Every interaction in the Old Testament was designed to prepare the reader for the revealing of the truth in the New Testament. But here's the thing, guys. In order for the structure to work, it's got to be rooted in godliness. But, But also, and arguably more importantly, you have to obey it. You have to do it. So let me ask you this. What has God told you to do last? And have you done it? What's the last thing God told you to do? Eat breakfast. I don't know, whatever. What's the, did you do it? Like, honestly, like, let's, think, let's think more than just the, the nitpicky stuff that happens day to day. Did, did God tell you this week at some point, did he put somebody's name in your mind uh, to reach out to them? And then did you reach out to them? Did 
did you wake up one morning realizing that you were struggling in an area, but rather than feel defeated that morning, you felt like the Lord was just telling you, you need to begin to proclaim the word of God over that situation. And did you look up some Bible verses and start proclaiming the word of God? Or did you just go about your day thinking, ah, we'll get to it. So did you, have you, are you doing what God's told you? Are you obeying? Because see, here's, here's what I've begun to realize is there are a lot of times structure in my life that come from just being in Christendom for so long. I mean, I've been saved since I was five years old and I'm 42 now. I've heard a ton of messages. I've been to a ton of church services and I bet you have too. And so you've learned and observed structure your whole life. But our problem is, do we obey it? Do we obey it? God, when, um, when we were in the process of planting Freedom Church, this was early on in 2019 when God first began to talk to us about freedom. And uh, we went to a little conference at Gateway Church in February. It was a small group of pastors, about 40 pastors. Um, and a guy, he was Pastor Todd Bolt, was speaking. And at the end of it, he just he started saying, hey, there's somebody in here. You, you, God has begun, the, the grace has been to get, uh, begun to move off of you in this season. And God wants you to do this specific thing. And you've been asking him to show you what your next step is. But I'm here, I'm here to tell you, God won't tell you your next step until you do this one specific thing. That one specific thing was have a meeting with my senior pastor. Now, isn't that interesting that God would withhold my next step until I was ready to obey? I wonder why that might be. Could it be the same way that we as parents test our kids with little obedience so we can trust them with big obedience? Could it be that? Probably so. Here's, here's what it led me to believe is that I can't expect a new word if I hadn't done the last one. Just need a word today, Jesus. Did you do the last one? Let me ask you this. You have this big book called the Bible. You got it on your phone in 14 million different languages. Have you been reading that and have you been doing the things he told you to do there? I don't know why my finances are in shambles. I don't know why we can't get it together. Are you tithing? Tithing ain't about you giving money to the church. It's about obedience. It's what it is. I don't understand why my family's a wreck. I don't understand. Well, have you been training up your child in the way they should go so that when they're old, they won't depart from it? Yeah. I mean, like, why, why, why aren't we planting corn expecting apples, baby? Come on. We got to, are you doing what you've been told to do? And look, I'm not trying to be mean. I'm not trying to give you just a bunch of truth and crush you with it. I want to give you some grace there too. That, and we're going to talk about how God's going to help us in this process. But at the beginning, we've got to understand that there's a lot of things, a lot of structure that God has in our lives that we just don't obey. And because we don't obey it, we don't get the fulfillment of it. And we wonder why God isn't doing that. And God's wondering why you ain't being obedient, baby. Come on. Let's look to the Old Testament for a second to see how people obeyed. God said to Noah, hey, it's going to rain. Build an ark. Noah responded with, what's rain? <laughs> what's that? Abraham, go to the land I'm going to show you. Where? I'll show you. Okay, so what, what, where do I go? Let me just give you a little golden nugget here, a little, a little help, a little practical help. If you don't know which direction God wants you to go, step in the one that, that, that gives you the most peace. I was almost going to say what feels right, but I want to make sure that feeling is tied to peace not just how I feel about a situation. It needs to be tied to something godly. So if you have three different options and you're praying about these options and you feel resistance from two of them, but you feel peace from one of them, jump on. Go take the step. But what if I take the wrong step? I, I think God is less concerned about it being wrong. And he's more concerned about you just taking a step, baby. Come on. I might fail. Yeah, you might. But you're definitely going to fail if you stay where you are. 
preached that message on precipice. If you, if you haven't watched that, go back in March and look at the precipice series. And God showed me something about a precipice, an edge of a rock. There's no vegetation at the tip of the precipice. Why? It's because it's all back there. So if you're going to stay on the precipice, you're going to die or go backwards. But when you jump, you get to a new level. God gets to do what he wants to do in your life. So you get to make the decision there. What about this? Abraham, go sacrifice your son. Man, how could Abraham be so confident? To go read that story. He didn't even hesitate. In fact, he told his people, he said, hey, me and the boy are going to go up this mountain to worship God, and we shall return. How could he have that kind of faith? Well, look, everything I'm about to tell you right now is, is all, all 100% speculation. But before all of that happened, before um, Isaac was ever born, before Ishmael was ever born, Abraham was visited by Melchizedek. Melchizedek was the king of peace. That was his title. The Bible says that he had no beginning and no end, that he was the, a part of the eternal order of the high priest. I don't know who y'all think that is. Y'all, that's Jesus. There's no other way that can be anybody but Jesus. I wish I could take time and tell you all the times Jesus appeared in the Old Testament. Like, for instance, the burning bush. Y'all remember when the Pharisees, he told the Pharisees, before Abraham was, I am? He was flexing hard on them, saying, look, your boy, your boy in the burning bush, that's me. That's me. He's all over, all over the Old Testament. But in this moment, the Bible says he appeared with two people. The Bible never says who those two people are. But here's my speculation. What if it was Moses and Elijah? What if it was the pre-carnate version of Moses and Elijah? The law and the prophets represented right there before Abraham, just like the same people that appeared with Jesus at the transfiguration. What if what if Abraham, as, a, as Hebrews chapter 11 says, died in faith having seen the promise, actually saw the fruition of the promise through Moses and Elijah and Jesus Christ standing right there, giving him the requisite faith to offer his son? What if in that moment he saw, okay, this is the law, this is the prophets, and those two things create the structure. That's the Old Testament. And I'm seeing the fulfillment in Jesus Christ standing before me. And remember, he was the king of Salem. Jesus on earth was the prince of peace, but he became the king of kings. He's the king of Salem, y'all. Could it be that a God that exists outside of time was able to go ahead with what he came to do and requisitely come back and have a conversation with Abraham that gave him the faith to be able to say, hey, I'm going to offer my son. Moses, hey, I want you to go back to the place you fled and murdered people and tell the most powerful human on earth to give me what I want. <laughs> Okay. Esther, I want you to go before the king and ask him to save the very people he was tricked into destroying. Elijah, I want you to challenge and kill all the prophets of Baal, and then I want you to prophesy against Jezebel. Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. I won't go to Nineveh. Hey, whale, go get him. I wonder if some of you have a whale in your future simply because you're not willing to go to, to Nineveh. In fact, some of us have been waiting for orders from God, but we haven't gone to Nineveh yet, and we're not going to get orders until we go to Nineveh. Okay, I love y'all, but I'm going to hit you with it. This is the truth. we got to be obedient. Why so deep in the woods on here? First, like I said, I want you to see the correlation between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Um, Jesus said he didn't come to destroy the law, remember, but to fulfill the law. So even Jesus Christ upheld structure. But the second, and maybe more importantly, obedience 
was the singular action driven by faith that moved these people of renown from potential to purpose. Could it be in your life, obedience will be the thing that moves you from potential to purpose. Why do I say that? I say it because this, a lot of times we see faith as being the currency of heaven. We talked about that, how faith is what moves and all this kind of stuff. I hear you, but, but, but faith requires you to obey. And sometimes we have little faith, but maybe if we just had just a little bit of obedience... Maybe a little bit of obedience would fill the gap that our faith is missing. And all of a sudden we begin to have faith because God always, always responds positively to us trying to do the right thing. All of these people, Abraham, Moses, Esther, Elijah, Jonah, all of them, they were given a specific thing to do to move the kingdom forward, to move that structure forward, that thing that God was building. And he's been doing this since we bit the apple. And that thing is simply this, restoring humanity to a right relationship with them. These people had no clue in so many moments what God was doing. They couldn't see the full picture. We see their extreme highs and lows. We see see their failures and their successes. And we see moments of sheer brilliance and moments of utter stupidity and ignorance. But they obeyed. And they didn't even have the totality of the structure like we do. We can read a book and be encouraged. Well, if God did that for them, he'll do it for me because God's no respecter of persons. But here's what happened is, is every time they obeyed, they learned who God was in the process. They had a revelation of who He was. So let me ask you this. Have you, have you figured out yet that God is first and foremost a Father who loves you, His kid? Or is He still that mean guy who's ready to destroy you because you did that same sin again? See, what they found out was if I take a step and I obey, I don't run into God's vengeance and wrath and hatred. I run into His love. What can we learn from these stories all of these stories that are designed to teach you holiness and righteousness and godliness to to warn you and to encourage you and to point you to jesus they're all designed for you to encounter and embrace his love for you and sprinkled in are these power verses that we love so much like psalm 23 the lord is my shepherd or isaiah 53 that talks about it's the prophetic of of jesus and his sacrifice jeremiah 29 11 the official verse of graduation come on graduates like you everybody loves that one Um, genesis 50 and 20 everything that you meant for evil god meant for good let me give you this one psalm 19 7 and 8 the law of the lord is perfect refreshing the soul the statutes of the lord are trustworthy making wise the simple the precepts of the lord are right giving joy to the heart the commands of the lord are radiant giving light to the eyes this is this is the structure that God wants us to obey. And have you figured it out that the only people that hate the law are the ones that are breaking it? The ones that aren't obeying it? I hate the law. Why? Because it says I'm going to go 75. <laughs> hey, too, I know it's too close. I know, I know. The entire Bible, though, guys, provides structure for our lives, a framework for what's good and what's right. It's created by identifying what's wrong and what's evil so that we can properly build our house upon the person of Jesus Christ. So before we jump off of this, let's talk for just a second about what is obedience actually? Well, it's better than sacrifice. And here's why. Because with sacrifice, you know exactly what you're getting. If I lay down my life, I know I'm getting this. If I give you money, I know I'm getting this. Okay? But obedience is, I'm doing this, and I have no clue how it's going to turn out. Defined, it's complying with the command, direction, or request of a person or law, submitting to the authority of. Here's a good question for you. Have you submitted to the authority of Jesus Christ? Let me ask you in this way. Are you obedient to God? Or 
Are you limiting your submission only to those things that you're willing to relinquish? Because that's a whole lot easier. Sure, God, you have my eternity. Gotcha. But, but I don't really have any control over my eternity, do I? Other than saying yes to Jesus or no to Jesus, that's... I, when I die, that's it. I, I, I'm, it's all in Jesus' hands at that point, isn't it? So that's an easy thing to give him. But what right now about the health of my oldest daughter? Am I willing to be obedient to that? To what God wants for her life? Come on, make it real. Make it real. Am, am I okay? Well, am I willing to be obedient to what God says to do with my finances when my business is struggling? What if your, obedi- oh, your obedience was the key to keep your business from struggling? That's what I'm saying here. <coughs> Psalm 127. One, unless the Lord builds a house, those who build it labor in vain. How is he building your house? Well, it begins with the word. And just like the Old Testament provides a scaffolding for the New Testament, the word provides a scaffolding for your life if you obey it. Now, all these Old Testament men and women, they they encountered and embraced God's love. And here's why that's such a big deal. It's because of point number two. If you want obedience, you need love. See, if you want structure, you need to obey. But if you want to obey, you need love. You want to obey, that's great. But here's the problem. Romans 7, 22 through 24. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Man, have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt like every single day is just a fight back and forth with it? I mean, just like, ugh, does it ever stop? Do I ever get to win this? You try your hand at being obedient for a few weeks and you feel like you're doing great, but then all of a sudden you get a little stress in your life and that same sin you can't kick kicks back in because you've just changed your behavior and not your heart, and that's what we deal with. Why can't you obey? Well, John 14, 15 says, If you love me, you'll keep my commands. Now, I always always interpreted this in my mind that I prove my love by how well I obey. Come on, where are my works-based theologians at? Where are the people that think I can work for God's love? i got to be honest with you. There's nothing you can do to, to increase or decrease God's love for you. Because the Bible says in Romans 5, 8, that when we were sinners, God showed his love for us that he, when he died for us. Every single person that goes to hell, God loves every one of them just as much as he loves you. It breaks his heart that they go to hell. He's done everything he can to help them not experience that. But God loves every single person. His delight is a little different. Just like you as a parent would delight in your child if you get home and you see that your 13-year-old daughter has cleaned the entire kitchen. Come on, somebody. Like, that's what you would, you'd, you'd, you'd want to do something for them, wouldn't you? Like, oh, let's go, get a, let's go get a snow cone. We do that with our kids. God does that too with us. Does it mean God can get disappointed with us when we're being disobedient? Absolutely. But does his love change? No, it doesn't. You see, works is not what dictates God's love for you. The love I experienced with God, both to and from, was at the mercy of my level of obedience. So if I obeyed him, I loved him. But if I didn't, what does that mean? And worse, if I obeyed, he loved me. But if I didn't obey, what does that mean? That's not what this verse is saying, though. I mean, how could, how could Jesus obey so well? Jesus was pretty good at obedience, wasn't he? Yeah, the bomb. He's awesome at it. John 14, 16 says, I will ask the Father and he will give me another helper, or give you another helper to be with you forever. I'm, 
so maybe he was God. Like that was his, that was the catch. But he promised us the Holy Spirit. So the same level of God that Jesus had, we have the opportunity to have that same level because he sent us his helper, right? It's, so it can't be that. Well, what was it? Well, he obeyed because he was loved. You see, we, we are at a bit of a disadvantage as human beings. Let me explain why. Jesus knew the Father's love first and sin second. We know sin first. And we are working hard to see the Father's love. Nobody here can convince you that the sky is purple. Why? It's because every single day of your life you've seen a blue sky. This is what I'm talking about. Jesus knew the totality of what it meant to be loved by the Father. He knew the ins and outs. He knew the depths of it. He knew all of it. You know what, fam? One day we're going to experience the power of that firsthand. If you've said yes to Jesus, you get a dose of it now. But there's going to be a day when we experience the totality of his love for us. And we're going to wonder why we ever thought about sin in the first place. But the reason Jesus could obey so well was not because he was really good at it, but because he was so loved. He'd received that love so beautifully that obedience was a response. See, your obedience is not a proof of your love. It's the result of you being loved. That's why you can't shake that sin. It isn't because you're incapable. It's because you try to put the heart before the course. You've tried obedience before love. But what, if, what would change in your life if you realized that obedience was a byproduct of God's love, not a prerequisite for it? Stop killing yourself trying to earn His love. You got it. So how does this help us with structure? Let me give you three truths here really quickly. First thing is God isn't mad at you if your structure is bad. He's here to fix it. Every one of you that's here and you're thinking God's mad at you, he's not. He's not mad at you. Yeah, but I do that same dumb sin. Yeah, I know it. He knows it too. And guess what? Before he ever said, let there be light, he knew it. He already knew you were going to do it. He still loves you. You can't do it on your own. So how messed up would it be if God wanted to blast you for not fixing something that you're incapable of fixing on your own to begin with? He knows so many of us haven't been raised with godly structures. But because we weren't raised with it that way, it doesn't mean that we can't have godly structures now. So he gave us his word as a path. He used the Old Testament and the New Testament to help us understand the structure and its fruition. And then he did this. He made a place where you could be surrounded by other people who are chasing God like you are to encourage you and to build you up and to help you become everything God's created you to be. If you'll obey, you'll see that come to pass. Here's the second part of it is that God isn't mad because of your disobedience. He just wants to help you correct it. He knows you want to be obedient. He knows you want to do the right thing. I mean, my goodness, who wakes up and says, I want to do the wrong thing today? So rather than responding in hate and anger, he responds with love and support. Now, he isn't okay with the disobedience, but he knows that obedience only comes when you embrace how much he really loves you. And don't forget, it's not his love that leads you to repentance. It's his kindness. The Bible says it's his kindness that does that. And when you experience his kindness, it's not his forgiveness. It's not his love. It's his kindness. Listen, obedience doesn't unlock love. Love unlocks obedience. And the last part of that is God isn't sick and tired of you. He realizes you're in a process. I think some of you might need to hear that today. God isn't fed up with you. He isn't sick and tired of you. He hasn't given up on you. Even if you've given up on him. Even if you're here just because you were dragged here today. God hasn't given up on you. He's not done with you. But this is the point where we can only do so much. He can love you. He can give you a spirit. He can lead you and guide you. But at some point... 
you have to make the decision to do what's right. So if you're having a hard time being obedient, stop focusing on your obedience and start focusing on God's love. And lastly, if you want love, you need to surrender. You need to surrender. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him would not perish, but have everlasting life. There is a huge catch in that verse. Great verse. I'm sure every one of you has heard it. But here's the big catch. you got to be willing to surrender your life to Jesus, or else this does not apply to you. You have to surrender. Think about what comes with surrendering. It defined, it means to cease resistance, to, to completely give over to. How many of you ha- can, can honestly say the most fighting you've ever done is fighting Jesus to deal with issues in your life? I mean, come on, man. If I were Jesus, I'd have given up on you probably by now because I'd have given up on me by now. You know what I'm saying? But thank God we're not Jesus. Come on, somebody. Aren't you glad your spouse isn't Jesus? Calm down. Marriage group, Sundays, immediate following second service. The problem is that surrender has been more common to us as a military term. To surrender is to lose, to give up, to be taken prisoner. Is that really what Jesus wants from us? Prisoners? No. Uh, there's a story uh, in, in Matthew chapter 12 of a man with a shriveled hand. And the Pharisees were busting on Jesus because they were trying to figure out if he was going to heal somebody on the Sabbath. Because, you know, that's a big no-no. Um, and so the, Jesus looked at the man with the withered hand and said, stretch out your hand. The Bible says in, in Matthew 12, 13. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out. and It was completely restored, just as sound as the other. You know, the key part of that, vo- that verse was not, and it was completely restored. It was he stretched it out. He was willing to shut. Okay, so how, how do we apply this to our lives? Because this is a little piece of structure that God is giving us. So let me ask you this. How many of you have a withered hand? Well, your hands are fine, but how many of you have hurts that you can't let go of? Yeah. How many of you have that phrase that your dad said to you when you were five years old that landed so deep inside of you that everything in your life is seen through the lens of that thing? What about the, the second divorce that really hit you hard? What about the abuse that happened to you? What about the abuse that you did? What about all the brokenness that you've experienced in your home and in your family? What about all of that stuff? Maybe you're sitting there thinking, well, I haven't had any of that kind of stuff like that. I guarantee you every single one of us has a withered hand. Every one of us. So my question is this. Are you going to keep on keeping on with your withered hand or are you going to be willing to submit it to Jesus and allow him to fix it? Military surrender means losing your kingdom. Surrender with Jesus means gaining His. So then what does it mean to surrender to Jesus? Luke 19, uh, excuse me, Luke 9, 23-25, He says, If anybody, anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? I have a lot written here. And, and I'm not going to talk about it today because just we're getting low on time. But let me just wrap all this up by saying this. Jesus requires you to crucify your flesh to follow him. Now, I don't literally mean you got to leave today and go get yourself on the cross. But all of those sinful cravings that are leading you to a life that you know God doesn't want you to lead, 
you've got to submit that to him. You've got to surrender that to Jesus. Well, how do I do that? Well, when you have some stinking thinking that pops in, some old bad thoughts that come running in, that same stuff that you've been thinking your whole life that's driven you towards sin, the moment it comes to your head, you need to stop and say, Holy Spirit, you see what's going on right now. You hear what I'm thinking. You know what I'm thinking and confess it. I'm thinking this. I'm thinking I'm going to go to this job interview, but I'm probably not going to get it because I've never been able to do anything good in my life. I've always been a failure. That's what I believed. But I'm submitting and surrendering that to you right now. This is my shriveled hand. I'm giving it to you right now. And I'm asking you to do a work inside of me to change me. How come you can't say that? So let me explain why this is so, so important. It's so important because whenever you begin to surrender your life to God, you run into a wall of his love and you really discover how much he really cares about you. Because rather than coming to him and you feeling beat down and broken because of what you've done, because come on, we've experienced that at church, haven't we? Haven't we experienced walking into church and the only thing we feel is judgment and somebody cross looking at us with the eyes like, what are they even doing here? But we've had people that have asked us, can I come to your church with tattoos? Is this, is this where we've gotten in Christianity? That we're more concerned with the mark on somebody's arm than the status of their eternal soul? Like, I'm not trying to be a jerk, but my goodness, like, can we, can, we just, can we just jump into the structure and be obedient? Can we do that? Can we love people? Can we care about them more than what we can get from them? That's one of the reasons why we don't pass the bucket here. It's because I don't want you to think that we're just here to take your money. I want you to embrace the totality of what God has for you. We're offering a relationship more than we're offering an offering bucket. You see what I'm saying? Why? It's because I want you to experience the love of Jesus Christ in this place. Because here's what happens. If you will surrender, you will experience his love. If you will experience his love, it makes obedience a breeze. It makes obedience a breeze. If you want some real world evidence of this, whenever you and your spouse are just firing on all cylinders, and man, like y'all are just, things are great. Y'all are on the same page. Kids are being like doing what they're supposed to do. The house is looking good. Provide husbands providing well. Like y'all know what I'm talking about. Well, isn't it great? Isn't life fun? <laughs> Come on, women. But when your husbands don't obey, come on, stop. <laughs> Chill out. Mm-mm. So what am I asking of you today? It's simple. It's this: the word is the blueprint, but you have to obey it. Obedience is the byproduct of being loved, but you have to receive love. God's love is here and ready to be received, but you have to surrender to it. God God wants you to deal with some things in your heart and life right now that, that are completely and totally keeping you from everything that God has for you. It could be something like a withered hand. It could be something like that. It could be you just taking some time to begin to obey the structure that God has already built through his word. So maybe a good, a good practice might be today as you go home to just take five minutes and think, is there anything that I know is in the word of God that God expects of me that I'm not doing? Write those things down. And then ask God how he wants the Holy Spirit to help you fix these things. Okay, look, we ain't running around the building today, but I'm giving you something that can make you better. 
that can help you get closer to Jesus and help you fully embrace the structure. Why? Because the structure points to the fulfillment. And I want God's fulfillment in your life. I want his best in your life. It's going to take you surrendering, though. Um, I don't know about all that, you know, Jesus stuff. Okay. Keep struggling or start winning. You get to pick. Would you bow your heads for a moment? The reason I ask you to do that is, is simply to get you to focus on Jesus and not the person around you. I'm fully confident today that there is something that you need to surrender to Jesus. Maybe it's a situation with your family. Maybe it's something in your own personal life. Maybe it's a sin or a struggle that you're dealing with. Maybe, maybe you've never surrendered your life to Jesus and you need just to make him Lord right now. Listen, it's not hard to make him Lord. It's not hard. You, you say, Jesus, I confess you as Lord of my life. I believe in you. Save me. If you mean it, he means it. And if you make that commitment today, I need you to tell somebody. Tell somebody in your family. You don't have to tell us. Tell somebody. That surrender is important. But maybe today there's something you know you need to surrender to the Lord. And that thing is going to unlock a moment where you see the power and the totality of God's love. And when you see the power and the totality of God's love, you're going to realize this is what I've been missing from obedience. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for what you're doing in the hearts and lives of your people. We thank you for your goodness, God. We thank you that you love us. Come on, church. He loves you. We thank you for it, Jesus. I'm asking you by the power of the Holy Spirit to help us not be obedient, but help us fully embrace your love, God. It's just like leading somebody to water. You can't make them drink, but God teaches how to be thirsty for your love, Jesus. So we'll want to embrace it and let obedience be a byproduct, God. We thank you for it. Right now, we surrender to you, Jesus. We surrender it all, not just our lives, but our struggles. God, our victories, our defeats our moments of brilliance and our moments of sheer stupidity. We give them all to you, Jesus. And we embrace the love that you have for us right now. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Thank you, Father. Amen. At Freedom, we want to help you have authentic relationships with God and His people, to have real experiences with the Holy Spirit, and to find lasting freedom. If the Holy Spirit speaks to you through this message, or if you want to make a decision for Jesus, please reach out at freedomdl.com connect. For more info on Freedom, including service times and location, visit freedomdl.com. Thanks for listening.